0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? Let's talk a bit about touchscreens. So, in the grand scheme of things, they're a fairly recent invention. Uh, If you look back at the original Star Trek series, you can see that they are a recent invention because they didn't think about touchscreens when they were designing the sets for Star Trek. The Enterprise, which is the flagship of the Federation, used physical buttons and switches, not touchscreens. Now, that should not come as a surprise. The set designers were taking their inspiration from electronic devices and mainframe computers of the time and then just saying, how can we make that look more future And you can't blame them for failing to predict that in the future, people would interact with technologies through other means, including voice and touch. By the time we get up to Star Trek The Next Generation, things had changed quite a bit. Uh, The controls on the new Enterprise were these sort of touch-sensitive panels. They had control surfaces that were built directly into walls and consoles in such a way that I bet it was someone's full-time gig on the set to just wipe down the surfaces to get rid of all the smudges. Uh, they also had voice commands built into their computer system at that point. So that was pretty cool, too. They they kind of uh, had both of those blossoming technologies involved in Star Trek Next Generation. And there are actually several different methods that you could follow to create a touch screen or touch surface. So, for example, you could have a, a rear projection screen and you're projecting images from behind the screen onto the screen, and also behind the screen, you could have a bunch of near-infrared cameras. And these near-infrared cameras could detect when a fingertip or some object makes contact with the surface that's on the other side. And then map that to a program that creates the appropriate response the original microsoft surface which later would be called the pixel sense had something like this and used multiple near infrared cameras i think 5 of them behind the screen to to detect and track objects that make contact with the screen um, if you don't recall the pixel sense had sort of a table form factor it was uh, it was quite a large display bigger than what you would have with like a tablet but I wanted to talk about the differences between the two most common touchscreen technologies that consumers typically encounter. So first up is actually capacitive touch. Uh, This is really the type of screen you're most likely to encounter these days. Most touchscreen technology falls back on this. And capacitive touch predates the other technology that we'll talk about by about five years or so. So back in 1965, there was a British engineer named E.A. Johnson who developed capacitive touch technologies while working for the Royal Radar Establishment. He wrote up his work in a paper he titled Touch Displays, a Programmed Man-Machine Interface in 1967. A capacitive screen consists of several layers. Uh, So we're going to work from the bottom up. And by up, I mean, like, at the top layer will be the surface that you would interact with. So at the base, you have your actual display, right? This is what is generating the image that you're going to see through the other layers. So all the layers on top of this need to be transparent, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to see the stuff that's on the display, and you've kind of eliminated the purposes of having a touchscreen device. Now, typically, you would have a thin glass substrate that would be on top of the display. And then the next layer up would be a conductive layer. So this is a layer that creates an electrostatic field across it. On top of that layer is a thin transparent layer. And uh, this is the layer that you could actually touch. So if something conductive makes contact with this top layer, then some of the electrostatic charge on the layer beneath the top layer will transfer to that conductive material. So let's just say it's your finger. Make it easy. So you touch your finger to the surface of a screen. Your finger is conductive. And once you touch the screen, some of the charge on the surface underneath that top layer transfers to your finger, and the charge decreases at the point of contact. So you've got circuits that are built into the edge of the screen, often at the corners, and they detect where precisely that charge decrease in the capacitive layer happens and registers this as a contact. And then that translates into an action based on whatever it is you're doing. So like if you're playing a game and you move your finger across the screen, it says, all right, well, the point of contact started at this position. It ended at that position. And that means we need to reflect that in moving a character from one point to another or whatever it may be. Now, this is why if you're wearing non-conductive gloves, you can't interact with a touch screen, a capacitive touch screen properly, unless you you know, carry around something like a hot dog around. That would work. I've actually seen people or pictures of people in Japan doing that when the weather was really darn cold. Mmm, hot dog phone. But also, like anything that has a capac a conductive rather a conductive surface, would work. It's just that if you're wearing gloves that insulate you, then that doesn't work. That's why some gloves come with a little uh, conductive mesh at the fingertips, so that you can still interact with your capacitive touchscreen devices while wearing the gloves. Now, the version that Johnson invented way back in 1965 was understandably limited. It could only detect the presence of a touch. It couldn't tell the difference between one finger or two fingers or anything like that. I don't think it could even detect where on the screen the touch happened, just that there was a touch. So in other words, it was kind of an on-off or binary system. Either something conductive was in contact with the screen or it wasn't. But this served as the foundation for the capacitive touchscreens we use today. The problem is they were expensive. So while it was possible, it didn't really proliferate because the the use cases were fairly limited and it didn't make any sense to try and incorporate that into consumer technology because whatever you made would be way too expensive. The other common touchscreen technology is called resistive touch. In 1970, an inventor named G. Samuel Hurst was trying to figure out a way to more efficiently make use of a Van de Graaff accelerator, and so he came up with the idea of using electrically conductive paper. Essentially, these papers would have like a grid along the uh, you know x and y axes of the paper, and uh, you could detect a change in voltage. Uh, along those grids. So you could you could plot a specific point of contact. Uh, by the way, a Van de Graaff generator, you know, a Van de Graaff accelerator is what uh, Hearst was referring to, but that's because a Van de Graaff generator was used as a very primitive uh, particle accelerator back in the day. It is an electrostatic generator. You've probably at least seen pictures of these, if not actually seen one in use. So typically you're using a a belt, mounted on some rollers that turn very quickly. This makes the belt move very quickly. And uh, the moving belt actually uh, typically makes contact with another surface. But it it generates this electrostatic charge and carries that charge to a hollow metal globe. The globe itself is also mounted on top of a column that's made of some sort of insulator material. So this uh, isolates the metal globe right you're building up this electrostatic charge in the metal globe and there's nowhere for the charge to go because you've uh, you've isolated the globe and then you can bring something conductive in you know general proximity of the globe and as you get close enough the difference in um electric potentials will cause a spark to form uh, like you essentially create a circuit very very briefly and then Uh, you get this zap of a spark. And you've probably seen, like I said, one of these either in video or maybe even in person. You're likely to find it in like science classrooms to help demonstrate the principles of electrostatics. But back in the day, they were used as particle accelerators in physics research. Yes, today it's a a toy in a science classroom. But back in the day, it was a particle accelerator. Anyway, Dr. Hurst used the, the electrically conductive paper to plot charges on X and Y axes. And only a bit later did he realize that what he was doing could potentially have other applications outside the lab. I'll explain more, but first let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
3: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. And how their pivot became their success. Listen to She
4: Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
1: I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.
0: So Dr. Hurst and his team figured that they might actually have some applications for this conductive paper beyond the plotting of charges using a Graaff accelerator. And he thought that he could make this into a touchscreen interface. So this would be a resistive touchscreen. They actually have more layers than capacitive touchscreens. That also means they block a little more light than capacitive touchscreens do, so resistive screens tend to be dimmer than capacitive ones. So let's go through those layers again. And again, we're going to start from the display side up to the surface where you would make contact with the screen. So at the very base, you've still got your display, just like with capacitive. Uh, On top of the display, you've got a glass substrate. Above that, you have a transparent conductive layer. So again, similar to what you would have with a capacitive screen. But next you would have a layer of what are called separator dots. So these are our little supports that are non-conductive. Um uh, they are there to act as a separator. They keep the the first transparent conductive layer separate from a second transparent conductive layer. So they're there to to keep space between those two layers. So again, above these Separator dots is that second transparent conductive layer. And then on the very top, you have a flexible transparent film on top. This is where you would make contact with the screen. So when you push down on the screen, whether it's with a conductive surface or not, what you're doing is you're deforming the topmost transparent layer to push down and come into contact with the next transparent conductive layer that creates a circuit. So as long as you're pushing down with enough force, you're creating the circuit and it will uh, detect that touch. So typically you've got um, other circuits in the, the device that detect drops in voltage or changes in voltage. And that's how they can detect the precise location where the touch happened. So again, doesn't matter if it's your finger, if, you're wearing gloves, if you're using a stylus, uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that that top transparent conductive layer comes into contact with the bottom transparent conductive layer and creates a circuit. So the capacitive screen actually came first, but the resistive screen was more popular. It got more popular and it did so faster than capacitive. So why is that? Well, mostly it comes down to cost. Uh, also like the fact that you didn't have to have a conductive material to work with it meant that you could actually use it for lots of other stuff, including stuff where you might have to do something like wear gloves, but you could use a stylus like there. That's a useful part of that technology is the fact that you can still work with it, even if you aren't able to, you know, use your fingers directly on the screen, but it was much cheaper. And that was really the big thing. So capacitive, sort of took a back seat for a while and it would require a lot more innovation in the space to make capacitive screens more attractive than resistive screens. However, these days, most consumer devices you're going to come into contact with use capacitive touchscreens, largely because, I mean, they're still more expensive than resistive touchscreens, but they can display brighter images. So that's, uh, that's definitely a positive. They tend to be more durable as well. As you can imagine, If you've got a resistive touchscreen, which is it works based upon you pushing the screen hard enough to make contact between two layers. I mean, you don't have to push super hard, but it does have to be enough pressure so that the the system detects there's a touch there. Well, as you might imagine, this eventually deforms the upper transparent conductive layer and that you can eventually get to points where. It's already close to or making contact with the lower layer, which is kind of like having a short circuit, right? And it makes it more difficult to uh, have an accurate experience using resistive touchscreens. It doesn't happen overnight, but over time it does happen. So that's one of the other benefits capacitive touchscreens have over resistive. Uh, It's also easier to use capacitive touchscreens for multi-touch functions in general. not that you couldn't do it with resistive touchscreens, but it's just it's easier when you're not focusing on using pressure to make that point of contact. Uh, you will still find resistive touchscreens, however, in devices that are aimed at lower price points. So if you're looking at like a budget tablet, uh, there are a lot of industrial uses for resistive touchscreens to this day. And keep in mind, as I said at the beginning of this episode, there are other types of touchscreen technologies. Besides these two, there's some that use acoustics. There's some that use infrared lasers. Uh, like I said, with the Surface, there are the kinds that use, you know, cameras that are mounted behind the screen itself. It's not like these two are the only two. There are lots of other technologies. It's just those two are the ones you're most likely to come into contact with, both figuratively and literally. So I hope that this was interesting and informative. Uh, a little tech stuff tidbits episode, and I'm trying to do more of these because it's fun to do these short ones. It's just a challenge because, you know, I'm a chatty Kathy. This episode probably could have been eight minutes long and instead I'm going twice as long. So, uh, but Hey, I like your company. Hope you like mine. And if you have any suggestions for little things that you would like explained in the tech space. Even if it's something like, hey, can you give a quick rundown on logic gates and what those do or something along those lines? Let me know and I'll look into it. And uh, I hope you are all well and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.